for the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango, it's your ticket to the movies. It's been three weeks since social media shit on me, so it's about time we get back to business here. That's, that's what Pete just texted. He goes, can't wait to see how many clicks we get off of this. That's true. It's all about the clicks, baby. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. There he is, the double threat on the Tariq Hope, a.k.a. audio producer for this Christmas Unbuttoned podcast. How you doing, dude? What's up? Good. Uh, And we did. We uh, we created some controversy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Good, good. I do. Yep. There's nothing I love more than NFL players and everybody telling me I'm an idiot or whatever else it may be. I mean, I got some people that agree with me, too, but we're going to hit that today a little. Right. We're going to revisit the top 10. I'm going to give a little bit more explaining on certain guys and mm-hmm. why guys were left off, because we never really got into the guys that were left off and why they were left off. So I think that's fine. The thing that drives yeah. me crazy, okay, is just this. How many people just see my list and they hear none of the reasoning? They don't listen to the yeah. podcast. They have no idea. And so that kind of drives me crazy at times too. But uh, we're going to hit that. We're Hopefully hit none. All. Hopefully none. I was hoping we would have 100% listenership, but I don't think we've uh, we've gotten there quite yet. But this is what I like about it, Chris, is that you basically um, Pete and Matt, great producers. They they think about what you know, what we should talk about basically on a, on a show by show uh, basis. And so they both had the great idea to talk about wide receivers uh, in our last podcast together. And so you as a as a dutiful employee said, all right, I'll put together a list. And once you did that. You got crushed by NFL players, by fans, by even people who we thought were your friends have now turned foe. Um, and you're just you're just being a good employee and you take the brunt of the uh, of the heat on social media. So we appreciate that about you, Chris. Well, thank you. I, you know what? I don't I don't <laughs> care. So I'm willing to take that that, uh, you know, criticism, whatever it may be. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of the times and again, I'm not trying to like put down people, but I also can keep it into, you know, reality of a lot of these people that are telling me what the ranking should be, have never seen an NFL football player in person in their life. Definitely haven't seen a game in person in their life or on field or any of that too. So I got to take that a little into account, at least to make myself feel better. But wide receiver, Ahmed, I mean, listen, I expected to get some backlash. I knew it. You know, it's it's one of the most controversial, I think, positions in all of football. You know, first off, there's a lot of talented guys. Second off, 
The stats can skew the conversation if you're in a good offense and got a great quarterback or if you're in a horrible offense and have a shit quarterback. You could be the best receiver in football and nobody knows you're really the best unless you know what to look for and what you're seeing. So uh, it, it, it'll be fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to answer some of these questions. But I do feel bad. Like, I do. Like, oh, I like Devontae Adams. I well, I mean, like yeah. Me. Well, you explained it. I mean, like you said, though, like you said, though, you were very complimentary, even to the people that you left off the list when you put this all together. And if people actually listen to you word for word, go through the top 10, there's no way they could think you're hating on any of these these wide receivers. And I hate that when these lists come out, it's like we why why do we all need this group think exercise? Why is it always like, well, no, there's no legitimate top 10 that doesn't have uh, DeAndre Hopkins or I don't know. I don't care. Like it's a subjective sport. You have your own personal tastes and whatever. Give give your your own opinion. And if it's different than everyone else, good. Because I could get everyone else's opinion, uh, the group opinion, just by w- looking at uh, the consensus. And that's not that's not what you want. So um, I don't want to get all riled up on it already because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about with your top ten uh, reaction. We will get to that. Yeah, we're gonna get to. I loved your conversation with uh, with Kyle, your good buddy Kyle Shanahan went for uh, an hour. There's so many good things there. So we're going to get into that. There's some reaction from some 49er fans out there. Just some general homie questions too. Uh, But let's start with uh, the big news. And it comes from a player, Chris, that uh, Jamal Adams, you know, last time I was with you, we did the the Ahmed 99 and the Madden 99. And the Chris Sims 99 was contemplating including Jamal Adams. Am I I correct in that? You feel like he is – at that point in his uh, abilities in his career where he is, he could command, you know, big money and that 99 rating uh, Jamal Adams traded to the Seahawks two number one picks your reaction uh, for the first time here on button to, uh, to what we saw go down. Yeah. I mean, a, a wow moment, a wow moment. I mean, you know, first off I'm thinking, Whoa, jets way to go. Two first round picks, a third rounder got a safety. That's a starting caliber safety. So you, you got that position filled. Wow. Way to go. Jets. Joe Douglas continuing to be an awesome GM. But then I went to the Seahawks and I went, yeah, it's time. It's go time. Systems go. You're in the prime of Russell Wilson right now. And Jamal Adams, and you know, listen, I know we, we were laughing before we started this, this uh, podcast today because, you know, I am a guy that, you know, I, I say Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in football. I've probably said six other guys are the second best defensive player in football. <laughs> and Jamal Adams is one of those. But my point is he's in that conversation. I'm not trying to say, like, definitively he's the second best player in all of football. But I'm just saying there's a handful of guys that we can put in that conversation. And if you said one of them, I'd go, yeah, I understand that. I think you're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're just he's there in that. So I think that's the price is real quick on that. I think yeah. that surprises a lot of people. Not that, you know, we highly drafted. You know, I think what was he number six overall, seven six overall pick. by the right. six pick overall. Um, I think he has just a couple of interceptions, not that ball hawking type of of safety, but they use him in a lot of different ways. I would have thought that no one would consider, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but Jamal Adams, that name, you think Khalil Mack, you think Aaron Donald, your number one sure. guy. Why right. is Jamal Adams in that conversation for you? Right. Well, I think, you know, you bring up you know, the, the, the big thing is, first off, you're right. Most people are going to always put pass rushers, right, at that most important position. And that's certainly there's a lot of them there. Cornerback that are in even that conversation. Too, ahead of safety. Yeah, shut down corner, certainly in that. But. You know, first off, safety in certain schemes is valued more than corner 
in certain schemes. And I would say in Seattle, they value safeties more than they value corners. And we'll get into that in a minute. But Jamal Adams said, listen, I'm not worried about like the past, you know, don't always be a, a prisoner to the stats as we always talk about. You know, the big thing is he is the best in the box safety in football. And whether that's taking on pulling guards or just shooting through a hole and getting a tackle for a loss, because like he can diagnose a play and see the hole as quickly as the running back does. And a lot of the times he gets there and makes the tackle before the running back even gets to the line of scrimmage. He's really special read and reaction wise. He's got a great brain to diagnose plays. Then he has great physical ability. And I mean, great. He's zero to 60 in two steps. Hmm. He's one of the best blitzers in football. That's not a true pass rusher. You know, when it comes for tackles for losses and shooting through your gap and doing that, you know, he's up there as well. And then sideline to sideline, I mean, his speed is special. Now, one of the reasons he's not going to have always great pass defense numbers is, you know, one, a lot of the times he's matched up against a tight end that I, there's not going to be a lot of quarterbacks, whether unless it's like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, who are going to drop back and go, oh, I like this matchup, my tight end versus Jamal Adams. So that's going to limit the amount of throws and opportunities he gets to interceptions anyways. But because of that, he's two and one, Ahmed. He's, he's really almost three and one. It's like he could be a free safety if you want him to. He's really a strong safety. So free safety, strong safety, linebacker. That's really what yeah. he is. He can do all three of those things and do them. At I think there's even been times. Level. There's been times where he's been listed as like a defensive lineman with where he's uh, started the snap and lined up uh, to begin to play. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, in a defense like Greg Williams, where they move some people around every now and then. Yeah, you move them to defense end on a third and ten. Sometimes he comes off the edge of blitzes. Sometimes you bring the blitz on the other side. Now he drops back into coverage and he's comfortable there. So, you know, he, there's really nothing that he can't do on the football field. And then when you get into, okay, where Seattle's at as a team, I think Seattle has really done a great job the last two or three years rebuilding their team. And I say right now, like, the time is now. I'm not saying they're at that pinnacle yet, but I think they've gotten all the pieces that they're getting very close to getting there is what I'm saying. They're on their way. There's no more like, oh, we got to tear the team down still in certain positions to get back up here. No, I think they're all going there. Some guys are young. Some guys are a little unproven and just need some reps and things like that. But that's why I think it's an awesome trade, let alone this is one of those defenses that this position is vital for its success. And, you know, again, not that you need a superstar here, but you need a special talent. And Jamal Adams is going to be their new Cam Chancellor. I love Cam Chancellor, the man. But Jamal Adams is more physically gifted than Cam Chancellor, and he's going to be asked to do those same things, and that's where I get excited about it. Physically gifted in in what ways? Oh, well, I mean, Jamal Adams, I would argue, is like his his ability to uh, accelerate, his ability to run people down with just pure physical speed and things like that, they're greater than Cam Chancellor's. They're both awesome hitters. They're both awesome uh, open field tacklers. I think Jamal Adams has more in coverage because Jamal Adams runs 4-4. I mean, he's he just at 230 pounds. He's, he's a special specimen. You know, let alone he has a special Seattle type attitude. I've spent some time with Jamal. His dad also played with my dad on the Giants. And 
he's he's always ready to go. It doesn't matter if there's a game or not. He's ready to knock your head off. That's kind of the yeah. way he's wired. And I think that's going to fit really well with the personality of the Seattle Seahawks too. Pete's chimed in. He said, uh, per PFF, Jamal Adams uh, pass rushed on 90 snaps last season. Only safety with more was Chuck Clark uh, from the Ravens. So he is doing everything. He's in coverage. He's rushing the pass. Or he's helping it on the run. What about the two first-round picks um, that Seattle gave up? I mean, the consensus out there is that they they overpaid for uh, for a safety. You know, even if it is very important for the Seattle Seahawks and the scheme that they run, you know, normally you might overpay for a Khalil Mack type, a rusher, or a lockdown corner, not normally a safety. My idea and the, my perspective on this is, you know, it's like like a, like a Lamborghini or a really expensive car. Is it really worth that money? Probably not. But if you don't pay it, you're not going to get it. And sometimes you just want the Lamborghini, you know, no matter what it's going to cost. You feel like right. you're going to be better for it. And so Jamal Adams is like the Lamborghini. Did they overpay for it? Probably. But if you don't do it, you don't get it. And if you're going to win a Super Bowl, you might need it. So uh, yeah, that's the right. way I look at it. What do you think? I, yeah, I, well, I think that's a really great way to put it. You're right. And. You know, they needed, a, they needed another difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we've seen the last few years, their defense can't get any big stops in any big moments. They've, they've been, a, it's not, they're not capable anymore. Somebody like Jamal Adams is going to give them more versatility within their scheme to be a little more daring and creative that way, let alone just him being out there and being a better football player is going to help them out a lot too. And so I, I'm with you. And, you know, again, listen, it's expensive, yes. The Seattle Seahawks, I'm willing to sit here and bet, though, that at no time over the next two or three years will they have a draft pick that is below 20. So the Jets are going to get something at the end of the first round. I would bet it's going to be somewhere between 20 and 32, both of these first-round picks. Seattle says, okay, so what? We got a lot of the pieces of our team in place already, you know? We got good receivers. We got the quarterback. They finally turned around the O-line. They got stable of running backs. Defensive line got a lot of guys. They need maybe another difference maker, but they got some guys that I think they think are going to, you know, show themselves this year or, or, you know, rise to the top as far as like their 2018 draft or 2019 first round pick at LJ Collier. They got Quandre Diggs at free safety. So they're looking at it like, Okay, what do we give a what do we give a shit about two first round picks a year from now and two years from now? And yeah. take this into account, Ahmed. I mean, this has been one of the masters of the mid rounds over the last decade. I mean, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Russell Wilson. Let's just go through the list. They're all middle round picks. All DK Metcalf, second round last year. They probably feel round. they feel right. like they can find starters later. I was just gonna say that too. Yeah, later in the draft. No doubt. They're not like Oh gosh, first round. We got we gotta get that one player that's gonna change our team. No, they believe in building a team and they know what they want and they've been able to find value in every draft. I mean, what Bobby Wagner's a second round pick, KJ Wright's a fourth round pick, or something around there. I mean, it's unbelievable. So they have the ultimate confidence too that okay, yeah, we missed that for we don't have two first round picks. Whoopie do that money now we can give it to Jamal Adams, right? Because that's the other thing people forget about. Two first-round picks they don't have to pay, so now they can give the money to Jamal Adams and maybe some other players too, or wherever that goes. So uh, I really liked it from Seattle's standpoint. I did, and um, uh, like I said, I just think the time is now for Seattle, and they're really close to being one of the best teams in football. And this course brings them even closer. 
We'll get more on exactly how he fits in and, and the Seattle scheme because you talked about it with Kyle again and you've talked about it on this podcast before. And I think it's really interesting your your thoughts on that scheme. But I want to get the the Jets angle first uh, yeah. real quick because uh, the consensus there is, you know, if Seattle overpaid, then it's obviously good for the Jets. They get two first round picks, even if they're in the, you know, the low 20s or wherever they're going to be over the next two years. You, you got to take two first rounders. I think ultimately, if you're the Jets, though, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong here. You just don't want to lose guys like Jamal Adams, and you don't want to have a, a great player clash with your head coach. That's just not that's just not something you want. It's it's not a, a generally good team building to have your best players uh, clash with your your head coach in one out. No, definitely not. And you know, again, I think a little bit has been a little bit of that has been blown out of proportion too. Like I know Jamal Adams took a few shots at Adam Gase at the end of last week. Mm -hmm. Well. Okay, let's not all jump on it and be like, oh, Jamal Adams, word of law, what he said must be real. Come on. He's been doing this for three weeks. He was making fun of the owner. I mean, he's, he was getting on him last week. So he was doing anything he could to get out of town. So now let's not take everything he said as like literal, oh, he knows everything about the Jets and he's spot on. No, he was mad they didn't pay him. They didn't want to pay him yet, whatever that may be. So he started to throw some some crap onto the pile to make sure he got out of there a little quicker than he did. Um, so, I, you know, I, again, from the Jets standpoint, and I think with Jamal Adams, yeah, the marriage was over. And I think it's great that they were still able to get this type of these type of assets when everybody knew that this was going to be ugly if it got into training camp or Jamal Adams certainly didn't want to be there in New York. Uh, so I give Joe Douglas a lot of credit for still making this deal happen, even though he was a little bit, you know, behind the eight ball here with some of the circumstances and the fact that, you know, Jamal Adams had made it so publicly known that he didn't want to be there anymore. You defend uh, Adam Gase more than most. I feel like. Why do you? Why do. do you feel like? Why? Why do you feel like you do that? Because it's not like this is necessarily isolated. It's not a trend. You're right. It's not a trend. Right. And Jamal Adams may have been disgruntled with the whole organization, GM, ownership, head coach. Um, but there have been incidents in the past, specifically his press conference with the Jets, uh, which was yeah, a little no, odd. not a good um, look. I'm not going to lie either. I mean, but why do you and... why do you find yourself defending him more than most? Do you think? Well, I, I think you know. First off, I, listen, am I biased a little? Yeah, sure, I am. I know him. I know the makeup of the man. I was with him in Denver. He was a wide receiver coach when I was playing the Denver Broncos, and of course, I followed his career very closely. He's a hundred percent invested into the sport. I know that. But I think down in Miami, again, it's some of the Ryan, I'm going to use some of the Ryan Tannehill, you know, bullets that I got there. Like, yeah. well, he, he went to the playoffs with that team. Who the hell was there that you can keep people? You know, if we were, if we had people here on the spot right now to go, who was on that yeah. team in the Miami dog? You know, people, blah, 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 blah. they wouldn't be able to spit out some of the guys on the team if I asked them. So it wasn't like he had this all-star cast down in Miami. No. He was the coach. He wasn't the GM. He didn't always have full say. So he had some crap around him. The team wasn't smartly built. And yet he kind of kept them competitive every year. Now, he gets to the New York Jets, and everybody just sees new head coach, and they think he should turn it around. Turn around what? Who the fuck is on the Jets that's going to turn around anything from last year? Like, well, what about that team said, oh, Whoa, they're going to go into the playoffs. I thought they could be a pain in the ass, certainly, and tough. But injuries, Sam Darnold getting, you know, mono 
and a bunch of other stuff that went down, you know, I just don't know what people realistically think. So I think he's a little easy to pile on because of the press conference and things like that. But what I'm saying is I think the results on the field are a little bit better than what everybody wants to give him credit for just because he's not always winning, you know, at the podium in the press in the postgame press conference. Do you make anything of uh, Le'Veon Bell kind of sniping at it? I think it was a subtweet. I don't think he referenced yeah. Jamal Adams by name, but he was he was surly that he uh, he wanted out so badly. I, I think he was a big part, or at least a, a part, of the recruitment of Le'Veon Bell to New York, and now he bolts and Le'Veon's still stuck there. You make anything yeah. of that? Well, a little. I mean, I'm sure Le'Veon's a little pissed. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Jets players are pissed. One, Jamal Adams is the best player on the team. He's not there anymore, so that stinks. Le'Veon Bell, yeah, from everything we're, we kind of know, it sounds like Jamal Adams was a big part in recruiting him to get there and, tell, and selling him on the culture of the Jets. So he's like, what the hell? Now you're the one that wants <laughs> out of here? You're the one that told me to come here. Yeah. And Jamal Adams is not uh, too keen on the culture right now. Leaving <laughs> no. even down. Right. And now they're all left to answer the questions, Ahmed. I mean, I, I saw an interview mm-hmm. with Frank Gore this weekend. Now he's having to talk about Jamal Adams' comments. And everything like that. So they're all looking at like, you know, damn, you put us in a tough spot now to where we got to answer questions about the owner and the head coach. And let me just tell you, like, you, you when nobody talks about the owner, nobody. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about unwritten rules in an NFL locker room? Man, everybody's scared of the owner. Nobody messes with the boss man, okay? Yeah. So you better be a star and know you got some other avenue out of town if you're going to start bagging on the owner like he did last week. So I I think that's worth it. Now, last thing with the Jets, too. I think we got to hit on. Hey, if Mike McCagnan was the GM, I'd go, well, who the fuck knows what happens with these draft picks? Who the hell knows? He could draft two guys that might never play and ever again. You know, like uh, Nate, like I mean, like Hackenberg, who he drafted in the second round from Penn State. I could throw better with my other arm than he could. But he drafted him in the second <laughs> round. Joe Douglas, you give him two first-round picks? You know, right now, everything I know about the guy from other people and what I've seen just from the evidence of this offseason, I go, yeah, he, like he might be able to do something with this and, and get them started. The, the Jets, they're still not there. Adam Gase was left a pile of shit. So now they're trying to rebuild their football team. Let's see where it goes. It was a good first step this offseason. Let's see if they can capitalize in the future on these Jamal Adams picks. They got a they got a couple of uh, a couple of picks late in the first round. Pete chimes in with Jets traded five of their six first round picks from 2013 to 2017. That tells you six. The D uh, Milliner is out of the league. So right. yeah, wasn't great for the previous uh, regime. Possibly better here for Joe Douglas. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Seattle scheme. You say that Jamal Adams perfect fit for the Seattle scheme. He's like a Cam Chancellor but better. And Pete had the idea to kind of get in, uh, just dive in just for a few minutes here on uh, that Seattle scheme, because you've been very critical of it. You've called it, you know, too simple at times. The the rules right. aren't, aren't very complex. It it's conducive for players just to play fast and not think a whole lot. You talked about it with Kyle uh, last podcast, and he's very complimentary. Of course, he runs that defense. He said he wanted to run that defense when he became a head coach, because for him, it was tough to crack. And I think a lot of times, and what he even said in the podcast, Chris, is it's tough to crack a lot of times because to run it, you got to have really good players, at least to run it to the best of its ability. And when you play against really good players, any defense is going to be really tough. 
Um, so let's just start with this. Wh- what is the Seattle scheme? What like what right. is the Seattle scheme? Can we just start there real quick? Sure. Yeah. It, it's 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 really what they would. It's a cover three press bail coverage, right? And if anybody would listen to the the interview with Kyle Shanahan, we could we kind of go back into the history of it. It really started with the Tampa two defense. All the people that are up in Seattle that came up with this defense, they were all in Tampa with me. Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator of the Chargers, who runs that same defense still, he left Tampa and went up to Seattle with Pete Carroll when he got the job there. And that's where it started. Pete Carroll used to be down in Tampa in the offseason once a week my first few years in the NFL because he would hang out with our defensive coaches and pick their brains and steal things mm. they were coaching and ideas like that. So it is off of the Tampa 2 scheme, but now it's three deep, right? It's a single safety deep. The corners, they kind of play up in the face of the wide receivers, but they're not playing man to man. They're going to, you know, and I'm not going to stand up, but they are going to jam. And oh, we haven't, get- we haven't had you stand up in so long. It makes me want to get back. Makes me hate coronavirus even more, the fact that it's limited (laughs) to standing up. I know, I know. But that's what they do. So it's jam and then never let anybody buy you deep, right? That's really the – it's a zone coverage almost all the time. Now, my buddy Kyle Shanahan, you know, I made the point that, yeah, sometimes it's too simple because the quarterback always knows what you're lining up in. Well, he didn't disagree with that, but – he also said the simpleness allows them to play fast. Everything is always sound, right? And if you have mm-hmm. a talented defense, you can certainly play that type of scheme. He argued to me that there's a few more nuances within the defense than maybe I'm giving it credit for, which, of course, I'm not going to disagree with him. I know, I know he knows that. You know, so I think you know, with, with, with all that, uh, and the last point I wanted to make about the scheme is you know, Kyle makes the reference of it's hard to gash that defense. It is hard right. to gash it. They know what they're doing, and they know where they're susceptible to being gashed. So they're always looking for it because everybody kind of runs. They call them Seattle beaters. It, it's Peyton Manning started it the year after they lost to the Super Bowl to Seattle. They played them the regular season. They started doing these Seattle beaters, and everybody started to copy it going, oh, this stresses this coverage out. But that's what it is. It's three deep, four under, and one of those four under is the strong safety, a.k.a. Jamal Adams or Cam Chancellor. And then it's not a blitz-heavy defense. It's a lot about, hey, send four, we're going to drop seven into coverage. And, of course, a lot of that is predicated on how good that front four is. And that front four better be good to make that defense work. And I think that's what you see more times than not. So who runs this in some form right now in the NFL? Oh, let's teams? go through it. No, you know, and and okay. So I'm going to break it down by um, divisions just so we can, so I can, I'm pulling sure. it up on my computer. Pull up the teams. Pull up your yep. teams. I'm pulling up the teams. Nobody in the AFC East runs it. Okay. Yeah. Nobody. AFC North. Nobody runs it there. Oh, Cleveland will be running a form of it with Joe Woods there now, who comes from San Francisco with Shanahan. So he's going to be running a form of it. Cincinnati, no. Houston, no. Tennessee, no. The Colts run it. So the Colts run this scheme, okay? okay? The Jacksonville Jaguars run this scheme. So there's two out of four teams in the AFC South. In the AFC West, the Chargers run it. Now, just to want to make my point about Jamal Adams and Cam Chancellor's thing, 
Um, who did the Chargers draft in the first round two years ago? Derwin James, right, because Gus Bradley's there, and he needs his Cam Chancellor for his defense, a.k.a. Derwin James. So there's them. They run it. Oakland runs a similar scheme, but it's not that. Denver, no. Kansas City, no. Okay, now you get to the NFC East, and right now nobody in the NFC East runs it. The Cowboys did, but they've made the change. They fired their defensive staff, so nobody there. Uh, nobody in the NFC North. Minnesota's similar, but not the same. And then you get to the A NFC South, and it is the Atlanta Falcons. They run that scheme, and that's it there. And then you go to the NFC West, and San Francisco and Seattle, of course, run okay. that scheme. So I don't know how many teams I just said there. I should have, so I should have been keeping time. I think like eight. six, seven or eight. Okay. Yeah, somewhere in there. Seven or eight, certainly. But, seven. Pete says seven. Pete was keeping track. Cleveland, okay, Jacksonville, good. Colts, Chargers, Atlanta, San Francisco, and Seattle. So seven teams. That's significant uh, a number there, and it might not all be the same, but uh, that's the basic principle. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I, actually, I don't know your answer on this one. Um, Kyle said it was the you know defensive line pass rusher. That's the most important thing you need in this Seattle yeah. scheme. But you're also talking up the importance of a Jamal Adams type. The the cam chancellor, the strong safety. And so are you going to say, which is more important to have in the Seattle schemes? Is it the Jamal Anderson or the Jamal Adams, excuse me, or is it that pass rushing defensive line? It's the pass rush. It is, it is. you know, it, it, there's no doubt that would be the number one thing. And that's, Hey, that's what made Seattle. Think about them back in the day. It was Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Chris Clemens. I mean, they had those three guys with another big guy, you know, in the middle, that can rush the passer. You know, think about uh, the, the Chargers right now. Nick Bosa, Melvin yeah. Ingram, right? The Joey, 49ers, Joey Bosa. of course. Yeah. Joey Bosa, sorry. The 49ers, yeah. of course, with Nick Bosa now Nick in Bosa. D4, right? Are we back? I'm back, baby. You hear me? I do hear you. Okay, we might good. have a, a, oh, that's good. Do we have a delay still? One. 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 Okay. <laughs> I hope we keep this in. That'd be good. <laughs> but I don't know where you cut me off. Uh, either way, I know we were talking about the front four on the Seattle yep. scheme. You, and would, that is you had already, yeah, you had already said, you know, defensive line and all that. That uh, right. and That's where you go, the pass rush. Yep. And the players okay. that you listed there. I, I listed the players, right? I mean, you talk about the Chargers with Ingram and Bosa, of course, what the 49ers got, what the Jaguars are doing. Hey, the Falcons have been trying to do it, right? I mean, they drafted Vic Beasley. They got Dante Fowler there now. They also drafted, uh, you know, uh, what was it, Tack McKinley uh, in the first round a few years ago. So, you know, they've tried to do it. They've just missed out a little bit. But the front four, without a doubt, the Dallas Cowboys, we know that front four was legit, right, the last few years. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's really where it starts. Because just like my defense in Tampa, you know, Monty Kiffin – Tony Dungy, they didn't want to blitz. They, they, that's why they had Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney in Indianapolis. He goes, well, I don't want to blitz. I want to keep seven guys in pass coverage. Can't we mm -hmm. just find some great pass rushers? And, yeah, Warren Sapp and Simeon Rice and Booger McFarlane and, of course, what the Colts had, that was special. And that's what makes that defense go more than anything, no doubt. And so then – do you go safety after that, or do you go corner? Because Richard Sherman obviously was uh, was very uh, very important for them. Jalen Ramsey with the Jacksonville Jaguars very important for them. What position is more important next? 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go linebacker. Linebacker and strong safety are really close to me. Ooh. Okay. I know. And I'm gonna give linebacker the edge. Wow. Uh, I am. I'm gonna go with them next because there's a lot on their plate too. You know, when you're only rushing four and you're not blitzing guys, they got to be great in coverage. They got to be able to cover a lot of space in zone coverage. And of course, you know, run fit wise, the, they got an important job there too. And it's very similar to the strong safety. I mean, it really is. But I think ultimately what I look at, hey, there's a reason, you know, the 49ers spent all that money on Quan Alexander last year. The Chargers drafted, you know, uh, Murray in the first round out of Oklahoma this year. The Jags got Miles Jack, um, the Deion Jones with the Atlanta Falcons, right? These are guys that have speed so they can cover. They're almost like strong safeties in their own way, but yet they hit like they're 250-pound linebackers. So the Bobby Wagners of the world, I, because that's the quarterback of this defense. So sure. to me, I would put them two. And then like the strong safety position, I want to put two big. Almost, but I'll say three to, to not cop out of the exercise. Now, sure. corner, Ahmed, I think is last on the defense. I, and I think wow. that's why you've seen the Jaguars get away from Jalen Ramsey. I think it's why you saw the Seahawks not pony up big money anymore. And they haven't really tried to spend money on a big corner either in free agency or do that. You don't see big time like superstar corner with the Chargers. I don't think my buddy Kyle Shanahan wants to spend big money on corners either. It's a zone defense. Why do if you just have a guy with a certain, you know, skill set and physical attributes as far as size and length? Because if you look around the league, the corners that play this defense, they're all tall and long. Why, Ahmed? Because it's about that jam, right? You got long arms. You can jam. Now you run deep. You got usually long speed when you're when you're a longer type guy to where you never let up the big play or do anything like that. And I think the more this defense is caught on fire through the NFL, I think more of these teams have gone, wait, we don't really play man. So why do we want to pay a corner, you know, 18 million dollars a year to play zone coverage? So that's why I would say the corner position probably last. And that's not easy to say. I mean, I know Richard Sherman was the man. Don't don't get me wrong here. But that's why that defense was extra special. They had special people at every position, let alone at that time, the scheme was somewhat new to the NFL, so people couldn't figure it out. But I think corner is last, for, in my opinion, as far as the importance of this defense. Let's split up the two safeties, too. Let's let's make that uh, yeah. free safety, okay. strong safety, because you got Jamal Adams, you got the Cam Chancellor type, but then you, all, you got the uh, Hall of Fame to be Earl Thomas Earl out Thomas, there, too. Right. I mean, they both seem very important to this defense, but how do you parse those two positions out? Yeah, so I think if I went D-line one, linebacker two, just barely over the strong safety at three, and then free safety would be four. It is very important. Now, free safety mm -hmm. in this defense, you know, you're just a center fielder a lot of the times, right? You know, it's all about, hey, Deep, we don't want you to let up any deep posts. If they do throw deep go routes on the outside, you need to have unbelievable range and things like that. And they also want to cheat a little bit. And this is where Earl Thomas was great because he had three rockets up his butt in his prime of his career to where, you know, he could backpedal and pass coverage, but he was smart. And as soon as he saw the run, he could fly up there and get involved in the run game and be an extra body, even though he wasn't supposed to be that extra body that was supposed to be there. 
And Quandre Diggs is that guy for Seattle right now who's a really damn good player, too. Uh, he's not Earl Thomas, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, free safety, Jimmy Ward for the 49ers, he plays free safety. And also within this defense at times, you, you know, you play that position uh, at free safety. You might get matched up on the slot in some sort of zone coverage in certain situations, too. And, uh, yeah, that's why it is important. But, you know, to me, that's why I'm excited about Seattle in this trade, Ahmed. You know, yeah. I look at their D-line and go, you know, it's pretty good. Okay. I wouldn't be shocked if they make one more play at Jadeveon Clowney here before training camp's over. Linebacker, you know, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, they drafted the Jordan Brooks kid at the end of the first round. So he'll be the replacement to Bobby Wagner, I would think, in the next year or two. And now you got the safety position set up. You start to go, damn, okay. And then they got long corners as is there already. So – uh, that's why I'm excited about Jamal Adams in, in Seattle. And you talk about the ways that you can beat Seattle's defense, the Seattle beaters that are out there. I got a question from ATL Niner uh, yeah. that says, is Jamal Adams' impact as an edge rusher and setting the edge on running plays mitigated by the 49ers using a fullback more as a blocker? So the the 49ers, Kyle Juszczyk, such a huge part of their offense. Is that one of the ways that you can beat a, a beat a Seattle defense? Well, not necessarily. I mean, what Kyle does with that fullback more than anything is, hey, the Seattle defense, they try to intimidate you or scare you out of running the football because there's eight guys by the line at the line of scrimmage sure. always. So they'll play eight man fronts and you're going, oh, I don't want to run the ball. And they're really they're going to get back into pass coverage, but they're just trying to scare you with numbers to get out of the run game where Shanahan's brilliant is. Shanahan finds ways to still run the ball against that eight-man front. And then where he's also brilliant and why he's made the fullback popular again in the NFL, think about your Jamal Adams, right? Or think about being a linebacker and playing them. Like, okay, it's a run for four. Okay, got to get Mozart. Got to get Mozart. Got to get Tevin Coleman. And then all of a sudden you run up in the hole because Jimmy looks like he's about to give the ball to, you know, Mozart again. And – you're worried about use check coming at you and you're going, okay, here, I'm going to take him on a lead blocker. And you go, whoa, wait, he's running by me. What? Oh, he's going on a pass. It's play action pass. That's where it can stress the defense out. And I would think that's a big reason that Pete Carroll wants Jamal Adams. I would think he's very yeah. aware of he's got to deal with that damn Kyle Shanahan every year and some of the things he does. And now Jamal Adams gives him a little more flexibility because he can match up with Kittle. He can match up with use check. And then, of course, he's a great blitzer, too. And I think that's what's probably appealing to them from this from that standpoint. It's so interesting to see and hear Kyle talk about it. And maybe Pete Carroll's doing the same thing. You have to if you're a defensive minded coach, you almost have to be, you know, just as focused on the other side of the ball. Kyle said it, too, when he was coming up the coaching ranks. Coaches told him, I think it was Gruden that told him, you know, focus on defense. Right. right. You're going to learn more about offense by studying defense than you might learn by just studying exclusively offense. And so the fact that Kyle runs that defense, thought it was the toughest to scheme against, he's thought of ways to, to beat it and combat it. And that's been really useful uh, taking on the Seattle Seahawks. We got a lot of takeaways, Chris, uh, from your chat with Kyle, which, by the way, if you're if you're a 49er fan and you're listening to this uh, this podcast right here, you got to go back and you have not listened to the Kyle Shanahan talk. It was an hour Chris uh, strung him along. He promised he would only go a half hour, but because he's good friends with Kyle, he just kept asking questions and Kyle's so nice. He had no choice but to answer them. Uh, but we got one here from, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, Gunplay Hot Glue that asked, am I crazy or does Shanahan sound like a more subdued, 
non-radio voice, Ahmed Farid. And I thought, you know what? You know, I, I was in the Bay Area uh, a couple of years. We overlapped just, I think, one, no, two years we were there together. Um, I got that before. People said, hey, Kyle Shanahan, in a weird way, reminds me of you. And I go, that is kind of weird, but I've got it a couple times now, Chris. I could see it. There's a similarity in the voice. I think if you didn't, if you didn't see the face on the screen and you just had to hear the two voices, mm-hmm. uh, I, I get it. Now, he swears a lot more than you do. Uh, yes. But other than at, that, at the tone all. of the voice is similar. Yeah, you don't <laughs> at all. You're, you're, a, you're a Boy Scout. One day, though, I'm just going to totally flip the script. It's going to be like uh, when, uh, when Britney Spears just totally rebranded herself. And like Christina Aguilera, I don't know why I went back to those That's two singers you from like the, That's what you call the that, late nineties. That script, Brittany and <laughs> Christina Aguilera. You couldn't think of a different one. <laughs> I mean, those are yeah, Taylor Swift. I don't know why I just thought of that, but I'm one day I'm going to come here. I'm just going to be like, it's the new me, and I'm just swearing the whole pod. But that day, oh, not, I um, can't wait. Today. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's happening this decade either. Here are uh, here are my big takeaways. I was taking some notes on it. My big takeaways from listening to you talk to Shanahan and you and, and him are very similar in the fact that you do not like when I wear an NBC logo when I'm doing your podcast. And he said he does not like to wear the 49er logo when he is not at work. And so you right. both are very similar. <laughs> you are very conscious of not being the company man when you're away from the company. I found that very, very uh, interesting. Got to be an individual, man. Yeah, you can't always, you know, can't always drink the Kool Aid. Got to be your own man once you leave the workplace. So, and he's uh, he's always been into, you know, his look a little. And I don't mean to say it like he's like checking himself out in the mirror, but he's a, he's a man of style. He wants to look yes. cool. You know, he doesn't want to go out out in the streets looking like some uh, idiot. So yeah, he's usually paying attention a little bit. He did a Florio impression on the on the pod. <laughs> yes, so he, yes. It was not a flattering voice or, you know, just what he was saying. It was not flattering at all. But he did a Florio impression <laughs> there, which I thought was cool. And this is what I, you know, one thing I thought about when he was talking um, and he, he just is so honest and talks about keeping the Super Bowl in perspective and not beating yourself up about it, even though it's your life. It can't totally be your life because you still got to be a dad. You got to be a husband. You got to be a man. Um, but I thought it was interesting hearing him talk about growing up. And you always think, you know, you, your dad, quarterback, um, one of the best out there. You figure, wow, the influence of the fathers is so huge on all of these, you know, football players, football coaches. He said he, you know, he went to all these games to watch his dad with his mom. And it just really kind of put in my head once again, it's like, wow. It's like, while dad, yeah, was a huge influence. A lot of the times it was mom that was around 80, 90% of the time because dad was tied up coaching or playing. Um, I don't know. I just it just struck me again as like how how influential all these moms are of these uh, of these players out there that maybe are following in their father's footsteps. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, moms are the key to the NFL. You know, moms are the glue to, 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 you know, just about any good family and especially a football family. Now, my dad was just a player and my mom, of course, had a huge part in my life. But when your dad's a coach or a head coach. Yeah damn there's half the year they're they're not around so the mom is molding these young men or these kids at that point the dad is just like you know some cool figure that you're like damn dad's cool he's the head coach i don't see him except maybe once a week during football season but you watch on tv and you live with it and it becomes the family business and you know i think for a guy like kyle and myself it can go two ways 
when you grow up in that type of family. You either just go, oh, I love this and I need it in my life forever. And I think that's the way Kyle and I went. Or yeah. it goes the way of like, whoa, I'm this, this fucking sports psycho. I don't want to ever get involved in it. And I think that's <laughs> what you basically see uh, yeah. with a lot of football families. It's one or the other. Um, we got a question here from Niner Gang that is kind of similar. It touches on what you just said there. Uh, growing up with Kyle, when did you know Kyle had something special? Uh, when did you know he had those psycho qualities? Uh, so when did you know that he was going to be the guy that was going to follow in his dad's footsteps? And and he had that ability too. It wasn't just like he wanted to because his dad did it, but man, he can do it because he's got a special mind himself. Yeah. Um, I You know, I always knew he loved. So right away, I mean, we hit it off at Texas, right? From day one, it was like, he was part of my, you know, he transferred from Duke. And, you know, the first day he was there was, hey, what's up? Oh, so nice to meet you. I love, you know, your dad's an awesome coach, blah, blah, blah. And we hit it off and we were kind of best friends from that, during that day on. Um, so I think what I realized pretty early on was a guy that loved football. So I knew that he was already talking about being a coach and doing that. And then I started to see a psycho work tendencies and then at college. I mean, he was a psycho in the gym, on the field, doing drill work. I mean, he really was. So he was attacking it like a five, like a five-year NFL pro when he was a junior in college. That gave me the inkling to go, okay, he's got a chance. But I think really it was when I got to, when I was in Tampa, my rookie year, he was at UCLA as like a, a grad assistant. My second year, he came on there to be quality control. And you know, I think there's a few things that jump out to me to where I realized like, ooh, okay. And he talked about it. He used to sit on the back of the floor in the defensive coaching staff room. And that's when I was like, damn, he's been here for like 18 hours today already. And he's now he's sitting there, his day's done. He's going to sit there and listen to the defense and how they're coaching it up. So that, and not right away, but once he got a feel for Tampa and everything, he wasn't afraid to challenge Gruden. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way or anything like that. But he would point out things every now and then. And I know Gruden would like, we'd be sitting there in the quarterback meeting room. And he'd look over and be like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. And that's when I was like, all right, Kyle's on his way to something here. And that's yeah. really when I started to feel like, okay, he's going to be a head coach. It's just a matter of when. It was uh, for him, he was talking about how he had to grind so much as a player and it was so hard to be, you know, not even great, just to be average, to be playable, to, to maybe have a spot as a backup um, that when he got into coaching, he felt like, oh, wow, this is I, I can actually do this. And and I think we all kind of strive for that in our lives and our career at some point where He's grinding just as much as a coach as he did as a player, but it's coming to him easier, and he feels like he yeah. can be elite at the coaching part of it, and he couldn't necessarily get to that uh, level as as a player. Um, we all want to get there. We all want to be that uh, that guy that uh, that all of a sudden it just clicks, right? And you're like, wow, this is right. what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm meant to do because my brain uh, somehow works better in this environment. You pushed him on, uh, uh, wait, on Jimmy. Wait, this, we got to hit that because you make the point, though. But he's he's that's it. Point. I mean, it I, I don't point. mean to. He's a great thinker. It was a great point. He yeah. is a great thinker. I mean, really. It, this is why I put my eggs in the Kyle Shanahan basket a long time ago. And people are always trying to push back against me. You're only saying this because you're a friend. Look, I got a lot of other friends in the NFL. You don't hear me 
pushing their, you know, their names the way I used to push Kyle Shanahan's. You know, he lives it. He's very smart. He's not afraid to think outside the box. He's got guts to try things that nobody else will try. And let alone he has the systematic approach that it takes to be, you know, an NFL true top, you know, coach and play caller. And I just remind right. anybody, listen, this this dude had, had Bill Belichick on the ropes like we've never seen Bill Belichick on the ropes before in a big game. I mean, so that tells you a little something, too. And that's why I've always – I gave them a chance last year if they had to play New England in the Super Bowl because I think Shanahan is one of only a few guys in all of the NFL who could really match wits, you know, maybe not up to Belichick, but at least mm-hmm. close to where it's not a landslide in, in the wits department. And who knows if Kyle never got to team up with John Gruden, maybe none of this happens. And Pete wants me to ask you, how many strings did you have to pull with Gruden to get Kyle to Tampa? So basically, if it was a lot, Kyle owes everything he's gotten coaching wise to you. <laughs> Your success is no, all owed to Chris. He it had nothing to do with me. I can still remember oh. the day. I can still remember the day. We were in like um, my rookie year was over. We were, I think it was my rookie. It might have been at the end of my rookie year, the regular season or early OTAs of the next year. But I can remember Gruden coming into the quarterback meeting room after a practice and going, you know, because this is, how, I, this is John Gruden. He always had this little like wiggle about him. I just got off the phone with Mike Shanahan. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't think he knew I knew them or knew Kyle and all them yet. I just got off the phone yeah. with Mike Shanahan. He says his son wants to work for me more than anybody in football next year. And I was like, whoa, I was, I was ecstatic. I didn't say anything because I didn't want Gruden to be like, wait, you're friends with him? Oh, I'm yeah. not giving him the job. That's how it might have gone. So I kept my mouth shut. But I was really excited about it when he came in and said that. Were you, were you guys able to hang out quite a bit there? Or was it weird because he was on the coaching staff and you were with the players? It was, it was hard. We hung out. We definitely did. But, you know, yeah, he's on a – even as a player, I'm busy. A coach is twice as busy. So – Yeah. And he was doing the, the dirty work of the organization. So, no, especially during the season, not a lot. Maybe after the game, you know, we'd hang out and have a beer, you know. But it was funny. No, it was really like we, – we ended up, like, you know, taking care of his dog on daily basis and doing all these kind of things because he was coaching so much that – me and my wife would kind of help him out with everyday life things at, at that point because he wasn't married yet. That's that's uh, that's cool. That yeah. uh, that's fun. I mean, just being able to have a have a close friend around, even if you can't hang out twenty four seven, it was is, right. is pretty cool. Um, what? Oh, I was going to ask you about uh, Jimmy G right before you said the point that I made was a really smart uh, smart <laughs> point, which I do agree with you with uh, Jimmy. You you pressed him on J- Jimmy Garoppolo. You asked a little bit about the the Tom Brady and how he is very trustworthy with his players. And so he can deal with those situations. Um, um, well, did you, did you feel like you had to tread lightly around Jimmy Garoppolo though? Because there've been times you've been critical of, of Jimmy G and what maybe his ceiling can be Kyle, obviously very complimentary. I don't think he was lying about, about Jimmy G because what we just said, he's very trustworthy, but do you think he's seeing him through rose-colored glasses at all, or do you think he's got a pretty good picture of Jimmy Garoppolo? No, I, I mean, you know, does he think more of Jimmy Garoppolo maybe than I do? Yeah, he, he does. But, I mean, you know, again, he's around him more, and, you know, this is his quarterback, and there's a reason he believes in him. And I think that Jimmy, Jimmy G is, has shown him enough 
you know, on the field and behind the scenes to make Kyle believe he is the man. And, oh, yeah, Tom Brady might want to come here, but that's great. I think my guy's just starting to scratch the surface of what he can be. And that is where I, I will agree. I mean, you know, again, we've all jumped, you know, the shark a little bit in the conversation of like, oh, Jimmy G, is he the franchise? Is he the guy to carry the team for the next five years? He's played one year of football as a starting quarterback. So we do have to make sure we keep that, you know, as a checkpoint to be realistic with what we expect out of him sometimes. But I think he's seen enough. And I think, listen, the fact that he told and the 49ers kind of just said, hey, Tom, we like you, respect you, but we're staying with the guy we got. I think that says a lot. I think it says a lot by where Shanahan thinks he's going. I think it also says a lot by the team and their love of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I also think Shanahan had made the right decision because I think what you're going on is, to me, here's the, the ultimate thing. The 49ers have a built a team where they're in the Super Bowl window right now for the next four or five years. You know, do you really want to get rid of that quarterback who can be a part of that ride to just risk it maybe for one year with Brady, maybe two at the most, and then you're back to the drawing board trying to figure out who your quarterback is? yet your team's a Super Bowl team again. So I think that also had to be in this thinking, too, to going, wait, I got this guy going this way, and here's a legend, maybe the best of all time, but he's definitely going that way. Do I, you know, they might cross paths this year, and Jimmy's, I would think, becomes better than, uh, than Brady when it's all said and done by the end of this year. Yeah, totally reasonable for Kyle to think that he can coach up Jimmy Garoppolo after this is basically like he said he had three games started as the you know the anointed starting quarterback yeah. before last year and then took him all the way to the Super Bowl so you think he can he can get better I think Kyle's got a lot of faith in that defense as well so you don't need a top 10 top five quarterback right, right now currently with the way the 49ers uh, are constructed Another thing that I thought was interesting, Chris, was the uh, was him talking about getting back to, to business as usual. And I I hate COVID-19 and I hate talking about it like it just sucks. The whole thing sucks because I, I like you, a big baseball fan. And I don't know if you saw it today. 14 Marlins ha have tested positive now, at least yeah. 14. It was like 12 players, two coaches. And this is baseball where it's not a contact sport i mean high fives is the uh basically the extent of it and throwing a baseball that someone else has touched and they're still um spreading this and so it it just sucks he's optimistic that what they're doing uh can prevent the the spread of it but i go back and forth like some days i'm like hey th this can happen we can do this premier league over in uh, england was able to do it with very few positive tests and they were not in a bubble um, baseball is already having trouble three or four games in. It sucks. I'm glad he's optimistic, but it's it's just hard for me to be optimistic on the whole thing. I understand. I mean, it is. It's hard. I think what's made him optimistic and some of my other friends that I talked to around the NFL, though, was the the week in the in the facility last week, where yeah. I think they just saw the protocols that were put in place to make them think that they got a chance here. You know, I think if you talk to a lot of coaches around the NFL about a month ago, they'd have been like, this is a waste of time. There's no way we're playing football this year. You know, we'll go back to work and act like we're going to have a season for a little while, but we're going to all be back home when September starts. And I think that's kind of changed. The, that momentum's changed throughout the NFL a little bit over the last month. So, you know, we'll see. You're right. It's going to be a balancing act. And coaches, a lot of teams and 
they're, they're going to be creative, I think, with how they approach the daily meeting practice schedule. I mean, I've heard some things from some coaches where I go, oh, that's smart, you know, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. And I think you're going to see a few curveballs thrown by some of these coaches here, even the other things they're going to do to get their teams ready in this weird, you know, time. But uh, I know. Well, listen, the big thing is, oh, really? The Miami Marlins got COVID-19? No. You mean the yeah. hot spot of the world? You know, yeah. so listen, yeah. nothing's going to work normal. No, no business, the economy, none of it's going to work until our country wants to, like, you know, take it seriously all the way across mm-hmm. the country. Everybody. Forget politics, any of that. So that's what scares me. Yeah. And it pisses me off. The Marlins played the Phillies this weekend. The Yankees right. are supposed to play the Phillies tonight. Now that game's gotten canceled Postponed. because the Marlins yeah. played the Phillies. And it's it's fucking up my Monday night now because I wanted to watch that game tonight. <laughs> so I'm pissed yeah. about it. <laughs> I know. I know. Hopefully this, I mean, you know, this will all get figured out in 2025 and we'll all be back to normal. So that's the, Don't you know, that's the positive that, here. <laughs> that's the positive here. Uh, you You crushed him for his uh, trucker hat. You said it was, uh, it was, he was trying to do it, you know, style. And, and then he said you were sounding like his dad on the trucker hat, which was a slam on you. But then yeah. uh, Thunder God C says that uh, Kyle brought up an interesting point in the interview. Why do you button your shirt all the way to the top? So while he may be, you know, going against the grain or tr- actually trying to be part of the grain with young kids with uh, wearing the trucker hat, you, have always gone against the grain with buttoning up to the top button. What are the origins of it? I don't know if you've talked about it at least lately on the pod here. Right. It's something I've always dabbled in or did. I mean, you could go back and find me in high school and even eighth grade doing it, seventh grade, middle school. I think really the origins for me were as I was growing and, you know, I mean, I went through some big growth spurts and I'm six, five. My, you know, the thing that first started me to do is my neck was long. I was like, damn, I got a long neck. <laughs> Holy shit. Am I a giraffe or big bird here? What the hell am I? So I started to do it originally because of that. Yeah. Then it was either that or I, just like lower your neck. And yeah, that's not a great, that's like, a bad one. I'll play football. <laughs> I'm middle linebacker. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. You when, didn't want to play middle linebacker. You wanted to play quarterback. I wanted to play quarterback. So that's And then you looked at started. Peyton Manning and you said, hey, maybe I, it's good to have a long neck, but I need to do something else to cover it up. Or, or I looked at Peyton Manning and said, maybe you should button your top button too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it was always something I dabbled in, you know, and I would do it here and there. Um, but then I got, I got into the TV business, really. And this is really where I started to go 100%. I, I didn't like the way my collars looked. Some of my shirts were might have been a floppy collar or stuff. I just didn't like the way it looked. And I just started to do it more and more often. And I started to go, damn, I like the way I look like this anyways. And it's just a nice, clean, simple look. And I just stayed with it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got a lot of crap from a lot of people. But this is what I like. So screw off. <laughs> You've told me that in college at Texas for a while, you succumbed to the peer pressure, correct? I did. Definitely. Yes. I did. I had like, I, I think even in early NFL, there was a few times where I came and guys were like, what are you, a nerd? What are you like, you know, where's your, where's your ruler and pencil at? You know, and it kind of probably, it, I got peer pressured off the top button look, but I'm at an age now where I don't give a damn and I'm doing what I like. I, I mean, I like that. How can you not respect that? Right. It's a total, it's totally unique to you. I think I see a few other people doing it out there, but they're usually like European models of some sort. 
for uh, GQ magazine. Right. So you're basically on an island right here, and that takes a lot of balls. And so I give you a lot of credit. Thank you. It's a good, it's a Thanks, good look buddy. for you. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. There's no place like the movie theater. The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Uh, Last bit of this podcast, Chris. Can we talk about the reaction to your wide receiver rankings? Oh, of course we can. Uh oh, you got a little bit of a, a delay. delay in the mouth, or my frozen. Chris is gone. He's got a delay. Chris, you're back. I'm back. You got me. I, one, 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 one. <laughs> okay, the test checks out. All right. So the the reaction to uh, your your top ten and hey, no no offense to uh to Kurt Warner because he he blasted you on your top forty rankings a year ago, um, and that got pretty big. But I think the reaction to your wide receiver top 10 may be the most of all time here, Chris. You got some heavy hitters chiming in. I know. I know I did. I mean, it was uh, – I felt like last week, every day, I looked at my Twitter, and I was just like, damn. Gosh, I got a lot of comments. <laughs> damn, I want to get in an argument with that guy, but I don't want to get in an argument with that guy and be there in a Twitter war, you know, for an hour and wasting my day that way. So – Again, I'm not sitting here trying to say I'm right about everything in the world. I'm just a guy that's been around football a lot. I study it a lot. And this was not an easy exercise. Let me just tell you, top 10 receivers was much harder than top 10 quarterbacks for me. Because I think there's, you know, there's there's almost 20 guys, I feel like, a receiver that you could put in the top 10 wide receiver conversation. And I know I let you know, Devontae Adams, Jarvis Landry, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen. I mean, uh, you know, Kenny Galladay, Adam Thielen. I mean, listen, if somebody out there was like, I think, you know, Kenny Galladay is the 10th best receiver. Not, not like you said, Cortland Sutton. I wouldn't be like, you idiot, you're fucking stupid. I would go, yeah, I get it. I mean, Kenny Galladay's damn good. It was tough. This is my damn top 10. I got reasons yeah. for every of them. So let's go. So here are the responses. Um, if you if you don't know Chris's top ten, 
Go check out his uh, his Instagram. He's got the 10 on there uh, right now. So uh, Devontae Adams is not in your top 10. And you look at a lot of other lists out there. He's like five or, you know, not much lower than that. Maybe, you know, between the five and 10 range, but mostly in the top 10. He did not make your top 10. Devontae Adams took note of that and tweeted, everyone give Chris Sims the attention he is seeking, LOL. Uh, that one, that one burns, Chris. That one was a, that was a dig. It, well, yeah, it definitely was a dig. There's no doubt about it. Now, you know, I mean, especially a dig to me because you know, that's not why I do this, right? I mean, I am not doing this for clicks or anything like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, it, listen, Devonte Adams is a great football player in a lot of ways. You hearing me okay right now? Cause my ear pods are about to die. I am. Yep. You're coming okay, through yeah, loud and clear, Chris. All right. Just I just want to make sure. sure I just want to make sure Devonte Adams hears this too. So he doesn't okay. crush you again. Well, he might crush me again regardless, but okay. you know, again, there's a lot to like about his game. He's certainly got good size. He's a good route runner, but to me, I don't look at him first off and go, Oh, this is one of the physically elite receivers in football. No. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find too many plays of Devonte Adams doing something with the ball after the catch. It doesn't happen a lot, okay? Now, you know, we, people talk about his route running and his double moves and all that. He's really good at it. Don't, I'm not trying to say he's not. But a lot of the double move stuff is not because of him. I mean, it's because of number 12. When number 12 throwing a slant route at 104 miles per hour and the quickest release you've ever seen, DB's got to react quick. And so when he does it to you three or four times, and now all of a sudden he gives Devontae the old, wink wink don't run the slant run the double move you know okay yeah that's great but to me that's predicated on rogers talent not Devonte adams all right and then you know they'll get into listen his stats are going to be good he scores touchdowns definitely but is the greatest red zone quarterback in the history of the world you know so i mean james jones couldn't catch a touchdown with the other four teams he played for and then he would lead the NFL in touchdown receptions when he would play for Green Bay. Why do you think that was? Because even when he was covered, he was like, oh, oh the ball's there. Oh, touchdown. Woo, I didn't get open or anything. So I'm not, I'm not trying to take a, a shot at him or anything like that. Again, he's an awesome football player. But I think between what he does after the catch, some of the things we want to give him love for, I don't think are totally him. And then... He's not a guy that teams are going, oh, if we leave our guy man-to-man, -man, he's just going to burn us all day long. No, he's not. He's not that kind of physical specimen that's going to do that. So I think from all those reasons, that's why I had him just outside the top 10. So then what do you say to uh, Stefan Gilmore? I mean, who, why uh, is this so crazy? He has 1,000-yard receiving season in his career. And people act like he's fucking Antonio Brown or like Julio Jones. I, I, I've been, I was surprised by this backlash more than anything. Hmm. I really was. Yeah. Um, Darius Slay was part of the backlash too. He said, yeah, he, he big tripping, LOL. He, so he thought you were big tripping, not even just tripping. Like you were, yeah. you were big tripping. Yeah, I, yeah, well, you know, I mean, that, that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> so um, Stefan Gilmore is also a guy that probably thinks you're big tripping because um, last offseason – there's a video of Stefan Gilmore talking about some of the receivers out there and the, the two top releases in the game off the line of scrimmage, he says, were Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams. 
two players who are left off your your top 10. And I do feel bad because while we did discuss Devontae Adams not being in your top 10, I feel like we totally didn't talk about Keenan Allen at all when we did no. your top 10. That was, that was a no, mistake we didn't. On, on our part. Well, you're right. But there's other guys down here, too, where I go, damn, we didn't talk about them either, you know. For sure. Now, hey, you know, releases, that's great. You know, that's great. Yeah, they're, they're, they're slick. They're slick, these two. Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, they understand how to set DBs up. They're very patient at the line of scrimmage. They're really into the nuances of the position and technique-wise and, you know, making, you know, making sure they get off the line of scrimmage cleanly. So, yes, but there's just more to it than, than that to me. You know, again, Keenan Allen, really good. But there's certain offenses in football – that if you put Keenan Allen in, you wouldn't know he's Keenan Allen. You know, there's just not enough physical raw ability to me there. It's all route running. That's all it is. There's nothing after the catch. There's no threat on the outside of him running by you. You know, he's not a huge physical body. So he needs to be in an offense that really knows how to utilize a slot receiver. And he's awesome at it. I'm not trying to sit here and say he's not, but I'm just saying – Keenan Allen couldn't play for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what I'm telling you. Couldn't play for him. There wouldn't be a spot on the field for him. He wouldn't start over Sammy Watkins. He wouldn't start over Tyree Kill. That's not what they do. They're not into five-yard, you know, option routes or, you know, work the middle of the field. You, you, you see Kansas City. They're into, you know, zoom, 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 zoom. That's what they yeah. want to do. So Keenan Allen can't play for the Seattle Seahawks. They don't know how to use that position either. He, he, he couldn't start over Lockett or DK Metcalf in that offense. So that's where I push back with those type of guys like that. Awesome player, but it needs to be the right circumstance around him for everybody to really realize what kind of player he is. And, um, you know, I really like Keenan Allen, but, you know, that's my argument against that. There's one person that kind of agrees with you on some of the things you just said about Keenan Allen. And that is Keenan Allen. Cause he tweeted out this, uh, I think it was earlier today or late last night. Um, okay. I'm tired of biting my tongue at cheetah at Mike Evans at Chris Godwin's at cheetah is uh Tyreek Hill. Right. Uh, and the list goes on. He says are not a better receiver than me faster than me every day of the week, but separation child, please. So uh, he, he kind of agrees with you, but he feels like he is in a league by himself when it comes to separating from uh, other receivers. I did check the, the next-gen stats over on, uh, on NFL, and uh, he's not number one in, in separation. Actually, Tyreek Hill is near the top, and he's kind of middle of the pack. But he says no one's, no one's better, which, hey, the dude's got confidence in his own game. I can't fault him for that. No, I, me neither. And, you know, listen, he does. He knows how to get open. I'm not trying to... Again, I'm trying. I'm trying to discredit. That's why I don't like doing this all the time because, you know, yeah. I, I have I have the ultimate respect for the guy. I really yeah, do. Not being in the top ten doesn't mean you're bad. It just means no, you're exactly not right. in your top ten. That's right. I mean, Keenan, if you well, I'll switch careers with you right now. You can come over here and do this. I'll go do that and get your paycheck, and we'll we'll yeah. go from there. That's fine with me. I mean, I'm certainly not trying to say it like that. So yeah, thanks for sticking up for me there. But yeah, you know, listen. Um, you know, I, I think, again, people are getting into the nuances of the position and just going, if he's better at the nuances of the position, he's better. No, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, that's wrong, you know. Joe Montana probably knew more football than Brett Favre and could read a defense and everything. 
But Joe Montana can't do what Brett Favre can do. Brett Favre was a better player. That's that's the way I look at it. You know, Mike Evans, you know, what he's asked to do, he doesn't get system plays like Keenan Allen does all the time. They just go run a deep post, run a deep cross, run and go route. You're faster. You're better than them. We don't care who's covering you. We're going to throw you the ball. That's what he's asked to do. You know, it's not an offense going, oh, we're going to put him here and this will help him get open. No, right. they, they base the whole offense around, here's this guy. He gets open against everybody. And now we're going to have to force you to double team him. And now we're going to get other people open because you're so worried about that guy. And that's where I go, Mike Evans is a game changer that way. And Tyree Kill is a game changer. I mean, again, I, I would argue, and this to me, is Tyree Kill a good a route runner as Michael Thomas or Keenan Allen or Devontae Adams? No. You know, is his hands as good as theirs? Maybe not. I don't know. But they're not as dangerous as he is. I know that. Mm-hmm. And they don't gardener the, the guard, like, get as much attention as he does. You know, I, I'll – my ear pad if, went out. If you're if you're just listening, if you're just listening, Chris is furiously changing his AirPods right now. As I feel, hey, hold yes. on, I got this, Chris. I can fill the gap. Oh no, you're back. Okay, go ahead. I'm back, baby. I'm back. But you know, again, I'm big into. I watch how defenses approach these players, and this is to yeah. me where people are dropping the ball. You know, Tyree Kill mm. gets more attention thrown at him than just about any receiver I've seen in recent history. I mean, it's up there with like Odell when he was in his prime, Julio Jones, Randy Moss back in his prime, Marvin Harrison's of the world. You know, I'll still go. New England played a defense they've never played in the history of since I've been studying New England film, an AFC championship game against Tyreek Hill. They, They haven't done that against anybody. They double teamed him every play, the whole game almost, you know. Uh, they didn't do that against Keenan Allen the week before. They played the Chargers the week before. They didn't double team them one time. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm saying too. So there's more than stats and everything like that. And yeah, route running. I don't, I don't look at it as just being the route runner. It's about what you do for your offense, the plays you make, the explosive plays, how you change the other team's game plan because you're on the field. And to me, you know, that, that's not even close. Tyree Kill, Mike Evans affect the game plan way more than than a Keenan Allen or Devontae Adams. And what your list also did do is it created a rift not only between you and Keenan Allen and you and Devontae Adams, but Mike Evans and Keenan Allen now. Now they're going back and forth because of something that you started, Chris. Uh, Mike yeah. a- Evans responds to when Keenan says he's tired of biting his tongue that uh, Mike Evans is a better receiver. He's like he's a better separation guy. Mike Evans responds by saying, you tagged the wrong Chris Godwin, LOL. So first of all, I just crutches him for putting the wrong at handle for uh, for Chris Godwin in there. And then he goes, and don't be mad at us. We ain't make the rankings or care about them. I like the confidence, but be real- realistic. You not on my level, bro. So your list is not, oh, it's just created hate. You're kind of like, the, uh, like Donald Trump. Like you throw <laughs> something out there and then everyone else now fights about it. And you just step away from the burning embers. Okay, well, if you want to continue this show and doing it with me, don't compare me to Donald Trump again, okay? <laughs> All, right. All right. Don't wear um, an NBC polo or compare you to Donald Trump. Those are Don't two do of that. I have a certain no-nos. amount of no-nos, right? Yeah, that's one of them. Uh, yeah. But it, it's, hey, 
it, it's tough. Like I said, you know, and Mike Evans to me is he's one of the most underrated players in our league right now. You know, nobody ever puts him in the conversation for one of the top receivers. And he's clearly been that ever since he's gotten into the NFL. So, you know, and again, listen, think about I no Jarvis Landry, no Debo Samuel, yeah. no Adam. Jar- yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Jarvis Landry was another one who uh, who dir- directly replied to you. And uh, he replied with a a gif of Denzel Washington just shaking his head, being in disbelief that uh, he said another year of not being considered one of the best or something like that. I'm uh, I know. I'm sorry. I love Jarvis Landry. I do. He's a, he's a baller. He's a all out, you know, football player can do everything. Uh, he, he was, he was another one. I just, I was like, damn, am I not going to have Jarvis Landry on this list? And I've been around Jarvis too. And, uh, we've hung out a little, I don't, he's not going to like me next time I see him. I know that, but you know what I'll say, <laughs> just, say, hey, just say it was motivating. Just say you were trying to motivate them. You care so well, much about them that you wanted to motivate them. Hey, what I will say to them in all seriousness is listen, go out there. I hope all of them prove me wrong. And as I always say to you, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I was wrong. Or when you do shit on my rankings and show that you should have been there, I'll be the first one to go, I was an idiot or I was wrong or this guy's the man or whatever it may be. I'm not going to sit here and just be stubborn and stay to my mm-hmm. rankings forever. And it'll never yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. And you've shown that before. You've shown that with uh, with Tom Brady and Drew Brees. If they, if they prove you wrong, they prove you wrong. Pete says uh, his favorite responses were the people that – wanted to show what they would have done with the top 10 rankings, but went to top 15 because it was too hard for them to leave people off. So they, see? they, they I, just how much did I see that? I wanted to be yeah. like, are you serious? See, yeah. you're, I know that's why Twitter drives me freaking crazy sometimes, but I, I know uh, it, it, it's a, it was a good exercise. It was good. Even if the price was me getting shit on in social media. Um, all right. I think that's good. I think we got the biggest, uh, the biggest stories there from your wide receiver rankings um kyle was great when's kyle coming back he's does he do it like once a year now you think no he said because i went an hour he wouldn't be back to like episode <laughs> 468 so it's gonna be a few years <laughs> um that's good and here's the fun thing now chris is that you um can do the uh the running back rankings now and i i should just start thinking about who you're gonna make mad in this running back rankings right now if it's gonna be ezekiel uh, elliott or who's gonna become tweeting at you because this is going to be huge when you when you leave off some of the best guys in in the top 10 oh i i know i know oh you know what i what i really look at because at first i thought i was only going to do the top five wide receivers and i was like mm. okay that's better you know because people could swallow that better when you get in the top 10 i don't know what it is then people start getting mad at the people you left off when top five they'll be like oh, I would have put this guy in my top five or that guy in my top five. Yeah. But when you make 10, then it's like a lot of people get offended. You know, there's there's less people that I think feel like belong in the top five as compared to maybe the top 10. Can I give you a preview of what you're going to get? Because you remember, I think it was beginning of uh, quarantine or maybe it was April. Yeah, it was April um, where I did my top five running backs in the NFL. Do you remember that? I do. It was like yes, I, I do. I pretended I was Chris Sims there just for a second. <laughs> and uh, I did because you were doing your top five running backs in college. So I was like, I'll do the NFL ones. I know those guys. And I went uh, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon, Derrick Henry, Delvin Cook, and Elvin Kamara. I got heat 
Pete notes from uh, The Rock, not The Rock, but someone called The Rock on Twitter, said, can we stop with Elvin Kamara as a top five back? And so I was like, man, this is what it's like to be Chris Sims over here. I got to yes. defend uh, I got to defend my ranking. So I actually am looking forward to seeing what you think uh, as far as running backs. I think we were pretty similar back when we talked in April, but a lot has changed since then. So we'll see. Yep. If we still I'm sure we'll be doing another exercise for social media to crap on me uh, very shortly. And I do think running backs will happen at some point during training camp or something like that. But that's another great it's another great exercise. It really is. You know, there's some good ones. I I know I've already got a top five in my head to a degree, but I'm already going to my top five, looking at it going, man, I'm going to leave those two or three guys out of my top five. Is that oh, right? Oh, man. You know, so, yeah, it won't be easy. We'll see how it goes. But that's it, right? We hit it all. We're done. That's it. We hit it all. I think so. Unless there's anything else you want to talk. Why does it feel short? My no, timer just, says a 120, what hour and 22. I do feel like we should fill up another eight minutes here, maybe. No, no, thank you. I've talked <laughs> enough today. Thank you very much. Uh, whose armpits are sweatier, though? That's what I'd like to see. Oh I got just gosh. a little dab. Oh, Woo! my gosh. What happened to me? You lost. You lost. Yes. I just wanted to make sure. Yep. Keep them down, kid. We don't need to see wow. that, all right? That was bad. Right. That's the, That's this this is the color shirt, though. This is a bad shirt for armpits. There's some shirts that show up way more than others. Yeah, right. Anything not black shows up way more than others. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that deep thought, Jack Candy. That's it. Chris Sims on Button. Ahmed has the sweatiest armpits of this podcast. We'll be back on Thursday. We're going to have Big Phil, I think, in the fold on Thursday. And, of course, we'll continue to monitor the league, see what's going on throughout the NFL. No more rankings coming up this week. I'm not Uh, doing it this week. I know that. Ahmed, you back on with us Thursday? I think so. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back from Maine. I I did the trip with uh, the family. And so now I'm I'm back in Connecticut for the long haul. All right. That's good to hear. All right. So me and Ahmed will be back Thursday for Chris Sims on button. All right, Ahmed. Let's clap it up, baby. Well done, everyone. Well done. Keep the arms down. Going to keep the arms down.